Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another fascinating and fun installment of My Sister Made Me View It. We have a very special introduction for you today. Yeah, because I'm here. Emily's which means here. <laughs> It means it's, it's just going to be an amazing time. More like an introduction. Nope, didn't work. Didn't it kind of works. Back. Nope, didn't even, not no. even a little at all. Uh, <laughs> so... I got a little overzealous when it came to assigning chapters to read. Just a little bit. Just a little. And, uh, well, turns out I assigned us six whole chapters. And as Emily and I started recording and recording and recording, uh, it, it became very clear <laughs> that there was too much podcast to cram into just one episode. So as much as I'm sure that you... it would not stand. It would not stand as much as I am certain you would all love a three-hour episode, and I'm sure you'll get one at some point, uh, we made the decision to divide this episode in two. So uh, this first part one that you'll be listening to right now will be covering chapters 60, 61, and 62. What are yep. the chapter titles? <laughs> oh, no, I don't have my book with me. I don't even know. I don't have my book with me. We do say it in the podcast introduction, though. I do know that. Okay. So it's... stay tuned. In about 30 to 50 seconds, you'll find out the names of the chapters. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, let's let's get you into the first half of this episode. Let's get into it. Take it away, theme song. Hello, hi! We missed you so much. Um, I'm trying to do the introduction. Sorry, I'm if you very could excited. like keep it a little. Listen, I love your energy, but it's up here. Bring it down. Sorry, I'm bring it down. We have a lot to cover today. Too. We have so much to cover. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to my sister made me view it. Meg's pick books edition. Covering The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. In this week's reading, all of Dalinar's dreams come true, and Kaladin commits a war crime. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, my name is Megan, and I should be writing, actually, tonight. Ooh, mm -hmm. he's supposed to be writing stuff. <laughs> Secrets? Secrets? My name is Emily, and I should be working on my book. But instead, instead, we're doing a podcast. A podcast. So this week we read chapter 60, That Which We Cannot Have. Chapter 61, Right for Wrong. Chapter 62, Three Glyphs. We are going to get started. Uh, Emily, I'm going to have you kick us off reading the epigraph to chapter 60, That Which We Cannot Have. It says, the death is my life. The strength becomes my weakness. The journey has ended. Dated... Betta Baines, 1173, 95 seconds pre-death. Subject, a scholar of some minor renown. Sample collected secondhand. Considered questionable. Okay, the content of this epigraph sound faintly familiar. Do you, do you know why? The journey has ended? Is this, is this enjoy the journey, not the destination? <laughs> do you remember the little 
the little saying Teft uh, told Kaladin just after the high storm. Do not. You don't? don't. Well, I'm going to refresh it by pointing on the back of the book. This is the life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. And this is the death is my life. The strength becomes my weakness. The journey has ended. Seems like a... I hate that saying. A heartless, (laughs) hollow version. (laughs) Hollow Sora. (laughs) All right. So, cats out of... Not really the cats out of the bag, but Dalinar's visions are not considered quite so taboo at the moment. Um, Navani's on their side. She knows about them. They've decided they really want to try and find proof that this is real and really happening. And a lot of this is riding on whether or not it's true because if Dalinar's crazy, he's going to abdicate and Mm -hmm. go back to, you know, the main kingdom in uh, Alethkar. Hang out with the queen. Hang out with the queen. We have not met yet. Alethkar's secret wife. wife. (laughs) (laughs) It starts off with like, Adolin's like, hey, dad. If the visions are true, if they're false, whatever, you cannot abdicate to me. You cannot do this. And we're we're starting in media res in the middle of the of the story, in the middle of the moment. And I like to imagine that Adolin has just stood up and delivered this very practiced ten minute speech to his father's like and then he wraps it all up with That's why you can't retire. And Dalinar says, Very well, you've convinced me. <laughs> Which is so nice, because I think Dalinar made up his mind before that, but he let <laughs> he Adolin say his piece, yeah. which is a he's nice... he's a good dad. This is a nice connect back to, in the gallery of maps, when uh, Adolin and Dalinar had their argument back in part two, I think, mm-hmm. um, where Adolin is pretty much like, you never listen to your son, so you listen to everyone else. Yeah. And... You can't help it if he breathes loud. Snoring. I need clean audio. <laughs> Apologies for any snoring you hear. It's neither of us. It's my dog who cannot stand to be alone for five seconds. And I love you, buddy. You're my favorite. We took off his collar, but that hasn't stopped him being a menace. <laughs> Dalinar, Renarin, Navani, and Adolin are all waiting in the Colin chambers. Um, they're waiting for a new high storm and Navani is going to start writing down everything that happens in Dalinar's visions. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that happens, we have a little bit of discussion betwixt the sons and Dalinar. Uh, Adolin is, Adolin is still highly suspicious of Sadius. Yes, I don't blame him. Even though Sadius to Dalinar is looking like he's turning over a new leaf. He's listening to the book. They're having these long talks. They're working together. If it's too good to be true and walks like a duck. duck. (laughs) If it's too good to be true and walks like a duck. That's a saying. No, it's not. It is if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, swims like a duck, it's a duck. And... If it's too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> they are two very different. I've things. connected the two dots. You didn't connect, squad. <laughs> but yeah, Dalinar's like, no, he's great. Like, you didn't know him like I knew him. And and Adolin's like, listen, I do trust your judgment, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna like let go of my money pouch while he's around. And Dalinar's like, yeah, that's that's what yeah. we get. That's what we get. It should be noted, Navani also doesn't like Sadius. <laughs> Even back when uh, he 
Yuhi and Gavilar were friends. That's right. They were all three. <gasps> they were the mean girls. <laughs> <laughs> that is the ugliest epic Fabriel I've ever seen. <laughs> so cute. Hold on. I got to write something down for when we get to the part. Give me a pen. And they're also worried about the investigation still. Because, all right, remember that saddle strap? Yes. We haven't been able to find anything with the saddle strap. Or but, the armor. Yeah, but it has been pointed out that there are some gemstones in Elokar's armor that... Yeah. Emily, um, you're a lot farther through the book now. Have you any other theories as to if and or who is coming after Elokar? I'm going to say it's one of the high princes. I don't mm-hmm. think it's Sadius, even though that would be really convenient I don't think it's Sadie so, but I don't know of any other... We haven't really met the High Princes, but the ones that we've met and talked with haven't seemed like they're that savvy or like that patient. And it doesn't seem like any of them really want to be king in charge of everything. Right. They just want to be able to do what they want their own way. Yeah, and have other people to blame if something goes wrong. But when you're king, you're... Like, there's other people you can blame... But you're kind of the one that's like, yeah. In, in fact, charge. Dalinar even says Sadius never wanted the title of king. Being high prince gives him plenty of power, but leaves him with someone to take the blame for large-scale mistakes. He never tried to seize the throne from Gavilar, and he's even better positioned with Elokar. Yeah, because my son's a weakling, Navani said. <laughs> <laughs> and Dalinar immediately is like, he's not weak. <laughs> Do you remember back uh, during the feast? When uh, it was first announced that Sadius was High Prince of Information, that Navadi basically turns to Dal and I was like, do you still think he's doing a good job? <laughs> uh, Navani has a new Fabriel. Yes. And um, Renarin is the polite one because she's wearing it. It's like, I guess they said it's like a spider on her, on her, like the shoulder of her dress. And Renarin is the polite one and is like, oh, that's a new Fabriel. And she gets so excited to talk about. This is something she's passionate about. And I really like that she doesn't have to hide that. I feel like a lot of times in stories, royalty or whatever is just like, well, I have to be royal, but I want to do this. Navani's both of them. Like, she's able to balance Mm -hmm. being royal and being an inventor. And as she's talking, like, Dalinar just sees, like, this pure joy almost come out of her mm-hmm. when she explains like everything and this new fabriel is like a pain blocker it doesn't fix a wound or anything but you put it on and it blocks the pain mm-hmm. uh shout out to renarin for being the polite one to be like oh i see you have a new fabriel tell me about that so good job renarin that's what i said i know okay <laughs> sorry you also said that <laughs> i was i was putting in my two cents about good job renarin did you know that Renarin wears glasses? I didn't. It mentions he's bespectacled. And I was like, my little nerd boy uh, who just wants to fight. He should. Okay, here's what Dalinar is saying. He's like, Renarin should just become an ardent because then he can become an engineer and do what he loves. And we we don't know what excuses he's given in the past, but mm-hmm. we do know he has given excuses. And Dalinar thinks they're really weak and flimsy. Yeah. And that Renarin would be really good at this. Yeah, it's... Renarin wants to fight. He's got... Spi- he's, he's spicy inside. <laughs> uh, he wants to fight. He wants to, you know, go into battle and do, like, these grand deeds. And everyone really 
coddles him? Yeah, coddles him or babies him. And everyone has sort of predetermined that, yeah, but he wouldn't be any good at it. Mm-hmm. And so they're all like, oh, wouldn't you rather do this instead? Does Renarin, the person behind the strap and the s- armor? Why would Renarin want to kill his cousin? So that his dad could be in charge. No, he has no... Well, we don't know if ladies can take the throne, which is stupid. Um, I'm going to help you out. Ladies do not take the throne. Damn it! <laughs> That's at least an Alethkar. At least an Alethkar. Hey, you guys, get your act together. Okay, I'm going off on on a conspiracy tangent, but Renarin is the last person you would expect, so that is why I'm suspecting him. Oh, right. That he is the bad guy. I don't want him to be. Right. This is not a hill I'm willing to die on. Right, but you've seen things before. Seen things. I love betrayal in books and movies. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad there was more after the pause. I love betrayal. Me, I know what to get you for Christmas. (laughs) I just, if it's done well, like there's certain, Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to say which one, there's certain TV shows that's like, oh, this person was the bad guy all along. And I'm like, okay, but there's nothing to support that. Like, I mean, I know you don't want your audience to I'm know. The bad guy. Duh. <laughs> um, should I say it's Agents of Shield? Okay, yeah. Agents of Shield season one takes place when um, during kind of Winter Soldier where Hydra falls, and you find out spoilers for Agents of Shield. You find out someone on the team is Hydra, and this team has been like this really close knit family. And while I was like, yes, betrayal. All the consequent seasons after that, I don't know. I was really disappointed that that the family dynamic didn't matter to them. I mean, they were evil. I get that. Yeah. But I don't know. It just was like they were like all of a sudden this person is. I think they left it open. So it almost felt like they could choose anybody. Mm-hmm. And so there was no like build up to it or no foreshadowing. And even after it happens, like everyone's so hurt and betrayed. But there's no addressing that afterwards. Yeah. So I was I, disappointed with that. Yeah. I agree with you on that because that character's betrayal, it felt a lot like Hans from Frozen where they just flip a switch and mm-hmm. all of a sudden this character is extremely evil all the time. Mm-hmm. When, all right, so there's this thing in movies and TV that they can do that books can't and it's you can show things that only the audience sees and other characters don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there is a way to do this in books, but like, bear with me. So like a shot of someone's face and how they're reacting, the camera can look at them even if the main character isn't. Yeah. Um, and there are moments in this first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where no one is watching this character who ends up being the traitor mm-hmm. and they are still 100% acting out of what appears to be love and concern for their team. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's like they're extremely evil all the time. And I get yeah. that wanting to tip the scale. Now I'm going to try and bring us back to this book because we were trying something different. But Emily, you're right. We haven't seen anyone slyly, evilly pocketing a brand new knife perfect for cutting leather straps. Right, or, right. look, this is my Fabriel that cracks gemstones. <laughs> so, yeah, we we haven't really been given a lot of clues because... This isn't a procedural mystery. This right. is just 
a mystery. This is just what's happening. So, like I said, really don't want it to be him, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being this unassuming character that everyone um, underestimates. Underestimates is a good word. Thank you. Um, for, you know, how people treat Renarin. Uh, last thing before we get into Dalinar's vision in the high storm, Navani is talking about the shields in Yaakoved. Do you remember people oh, mentioning right. those before? Yes. Um, so she, like I said, she's talking about all these Fabrials. She's super excited. Like this is her passion. Like, you know, you get someone talking about their passion and they can go on for hours. What <laughs> <laughs> does that sound like? <laughs> but she's talking about like, oh, if you guys could just see just see what we have planned for the future and Adolin's like yes shards what is it shards we make you shards <laughs> and more he's plates, like more blades he's like shard blades because that's the thing there's a finite amount and they have been unable to recreate these so what they have they have mm-hmm. and I found it interesting like uh she says the closest anyone has are those shields in Yakaved. but as far as I can tell they use a completely different design principle from true shard plate and so like People are trying. It's not like a race to the moon, but what? Do you remember where we saw those shields in use? No. Seth came up against some of them. In Yakuved. Yeah. When he kills the king. Uh-huh. Did we talk about this? Because it was in an interlude. Yeah. I know, I know. But I'm going to say again. Chapter one. It's this huge, huge deal that Seth is coming to kill the king. And we spend an entire chapter on uh-huh. it. And it's so cool. And then we just get a note like, the king of Yakovet is dead, and it was an assassin in white, and that's it. It was off screen. Is it? I'm going to check. Shalon Drew's. Okay, guys. Who does he kill? While, Megan, his... while Megan's looking at something, sorry, you're gonna, we have been going back and listening to a bunch of, of our podcasts. One of the drawings that Shalon has drawn that she is just like, where did this come from? It's a person face down on a table in blood. Did she draw? The assassination of the King of Yaakovet. We saw the assassination of the King of Yaakovet. That was Seth's last interlude. Oh. It's it's the dude that he's so mad because this guy knew Seth was coming and brought in a bunch of people That's on purpose. Right. That's right. So uh, we saw Seth kill King Hanavanar. Hanavanar. <laughs> <laughs> I got this. King. Hanavanar. Hanavanar. Of Yakoved. Um, and the the king brought out a bunch of these. I do remember that now. Yeah. Dudes with shields. It was it was a while ago. It was it the was. beginning of part four. Also to go along with my Shalon thing, uh, now that she is under suspicion of treason, they're gonna go through her stuff and find all these drawings and think that she knew that it was gonna happen. And then she's gonna be even even more trouble. Although I'm gonna help you out. Okay. Her drawing was a man face down with a lot of blood. Seth definitely killed the king of Yakoved, who was lying face up. Because okay. if you remember, he took the shard blade and drove it right through the guy's Ooh, face. Oh, I don't remember that word. What? Seth is your favorite. How do you not read his murder sprees with more intent? Because I just feel bad for him. I don't want to know all the bad stuff he does. You don't have all the facts, which are, I love him. Anyway, uh... Back to the present, Dalinar uh, goes into one of his visions. He didn't even realize the the high storm was approaching because, you know, they're having this Fabriel conversation. And it just, like, immediately switches POV. Yeah. Uh, and he finds out he is someone named Karm. 
and he's walking with these two other people and he's trying to figure out like where he is and get clues and everything and um there's just one guy oh i thought it was three people walking Again, it's been a minute. It's it's, it's the it's just the regal man. Okay, so Dalinar's walking with a regal man. Dalinar realizes his name. Dalinar's avatar's name is Karn, and this guy is really the the other one he's talking and walking with is really downcast and sad. And he's like, "What are we going to do about these things? And what are we going? How are we going to handle this this desolation?" And they walk out onto like this parapet. And look over and Dalinar is just horrified because the ground is piled high with corpses. Like, there has been a battle here. And not just, like, a regular battle, but they mentioned nine out of ten people died. Like, it was horrible. Uh, I pointed out some words to you that I said yeah. were very important. You did. One was Surge Binder. Uh-huh. Z- Surge Binders. And the other was... Nahel Bond. N-A-H-E-L space B-O-N-D. Nahel? Mm-hmm. Nahel. Nahl. We're going to say Nahel. Okay. I've got another sprint to add to your sprint watch. Okay. So here we go. This is this is a line of dialogue said by the regal man. Our own natures destroy us. Alakovish was a surge binder. He should have known better. Ooh. And yet the Nahel Bond gave him no more wisdom than an ordinary man. Alas, not all spren are as discerning as honor spren. <gasps> honor! I did write that down. I did write that down. I even wrote the page number down, but wow, I was Wow, look at you. Look at me. I'm assuming this is directly after a finished desolation. Because there are giant stone creatures with triangular shaped faces. And Dalinar is just like, are these void bringers? Mm-hmm. I want to help you do some logic oh, no. plugging things together. Okay. Okay. So, from that paragraph, imagine you're taking your AP Lit essay. Oh, no. Okay. I did okay on that. Yeah. Yeah. What? I didn't get a five. Like okay. You did. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'm trying to think of how to phrase my question. What creates, what makes someone a surge binder? Answers are in that paragraph. Which paragraph? The one we just read. <laughs> Our own natures destroy us. Uh, he should have known better. The Nell Bond. I don't know. It doesn't. That does. It does. That's there's no. There's nothing in there. Okay, a surge binder is someone who has a nail bond. Yeah. So how are you supposed to get that from that paragraph? Listen, this is the eight swords of the crown all over again. No, it's not. No, it's not. Clearly, something called a nail bond creates a surge binder. Where does it say that? Because he was a surge binder. He should have known better, but the nail bond doesn't give him any more okay. wisdom. Nail bond could be a piece of jewelry. Okay, fine. Could be a Listen, contract you signed. We're done with this, people. <laughs> I guess we'll come back to this someday. I just want you to remember. You were right. Nail bond. <laughs> okay. Not whole, not nail bond i don't know i like saying nail bond <laughs> a nail bondsman <laughs> anyway well i guess you and dalinar have the same question dalinar goes what's a surge binder dalinar wanted to scream the question but there was no way not without sounding completely out of place and i just wrote me too buddy me too 
So as he's talking to this person, he's really, really trying to like pull details out without sounding like he's nuts. Mm -hmm. And he realizes. Oh, what? I'm I'm back on this. (laughs) Sorry. I'm trying to help you piece together what's what's happened here. Trying so hard. Thank you. I'm just going to help you out. Somebody named Alakovish, who was a surge binder, he gathered a bunch of people around him and he rose up an army and it was surge binders against surge binder because later on it says uh maybe you know even if we hadn't been fighting alakovish we still would have been unprepared for the desolation so a war was already going on when the desolation came that sounds like uh what's happening in today's thing with does. wow i wonder if in the past, someone else was given warning that a desolation was coming. That would be very cool. Do you know? Do you remember Dalinar's first vision? Is that the farmer? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the radiant in his vision told him. You tried so hard to help me figure that out, and I appreciate you. I'm sorry. Mostly because I don't want you to scream at me where you're like, this came out of nowhere! <laughs> They were on their way back, and the high storm catches them by surprise. Okay. All right. Uh, we are jumping back to Dalinar's very first vision. Okay. That that we saw. There, you know, he had others, but um, he met some of the Knights Radiant, and they are. Let's see. <clears throat> the Knights Radiant fight for no king and for all of them. Then where do you live? Eurythiru is where our orders are centered, but we live in cities all across Alethala. So we found out that was the the ancient mm-hmm. whatever. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here's a great definition of the Knights Radiant as given by this woman Knight Radiant that he met. That's right. Every pasture needs every pasture needs three things: flocks to grow, herdsmen to tend, and watchers at the rim. We of Alethala are those watchers, the warriors who protect and fight. We maintain the terrible arts of killing and then pass them on to others when the desolation comes. And then she says, Harkalen says the desolation is close and he is not often wrong. But of course, this is also the vision where that dude at the end of the vision tells Delinar that uh, Dalinar asks, I have trusted High Prince Sadius, but my son Adolin thinks I'm a fool to do so. Should I continue to trust Sadius? Yes, the being said. This is important. Do not let strife consume you. Be strong. Act with honor and honor will aid There you. are so many opposing viewpoints. Listen, and mm-hmm. we're going to get to this in a minute, but like, I'm used to reading books where you just are like in the main character's head and so you know the main character's goals and everything. There are so many different characters with so many contrasting goals. And I'm just used to being like, oh, I trust this character that's talking. And I'm realizing Dalinar may be being lied to. Yeah. And and that's something Dalinar brings up later when he's talking with Navani that, yeah, we're proving that there are factual things in the visions, but I still might be being manipulated. Yeah. Don't like it. Manipulated. DB Geek. She's a manipulator. (laughs) (laughs) So, as Dalinar's continuing to try and figure out, you know, to get clues as to where he is and what's going on, he realizes the person he's walking with is the author of The Way of Kings. Oh my gosh, he's with Brandon Sanderson? (laughs) (laughs) 
Ben's name is... Other way. Thank you. No, other way. (laughs) The guy's name is Nohadon. 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 And Dalinar is just like, I have got to be sure this is him. And he kind of does figure it out. And he realizes this is before the the guy has written the way of kings or dictated it. I don't know if people back then could, men back then could read and write um, back a little bit when they're overlooking the battlefield. Okay. Uh, Because there are a lot of human corpses there, but there uh, is something else scattered among the corpses. I already talked about that. Not on the podcast. I did. I I said they, they have the triangular faces, and I was expecting you. Oh, my gosh. I missed it. I'm sorry. I was thinking about the Knights Radiant and everything else. You're not even supposed to listen to me when I talk to I you. I did. <laughs> listen, you're going to have to, when you're editing, you're going to have to play this back for me for proof. I do not remember the part you said that. I just, I thought you paused after saying that nine out of ten people had died. Oh, no. Okay. I was going to say there's things on the battlefield, and then I said that they're, they have the triangular faces, and then you didn't bring up axe hounds, and I was so confused. Well, because I'm not thinking about axe hounds. They have arrow-like faces. And I was going to make a joke about, do you know what else in this book is described as having an arrow-like face? And I will say axe hounds. And I'm going to say, what else? And I'll say, I don't know. And then I say, it's Hoyd. No! <laughs> No! That's not true. That's impossible. <laughs> okay, so we're at the Pure Lake with Ishik. And the foreigners are trying to uh, tell Ishik about who they're looking for. This is when I also got mad because one could look like literally anyone. Okay. No foreigner like the one you mentioned with his white hair, clever tongue, and arrow-like face. Ah! <laughs> no, this is not me suggesting that Hoyt is related to whatever these are. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> but, it is. Uh, we've seen giant beings like stone and they were named something back in the prologue. Do you remember what they were called? Stormbringers. No. <laughs> no. Thunderclass. Thunderclass. And then you asked me, is that a Voidbringer? And you didn't tell me because this is oh, predictions. What do I say every time? Every time you ask, what's a Voidbringer? What do I say? <laughs> we don't know yet. I say, nobody has pointed at something and gone, <laughs> that's, that's a, a Voidbringer. Bringer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you had two questions. Two things. Two things I want to talk about. One. Uh-huh. Meeting your heroes. Yep. To circular time travel. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Dalinar is too cool for school. <laughs> He's just like, this is the guy that I am like reading his words and living my life by. And he's totally chill. Like he does not fanboy out. And I'm just like, Dalinar is a better person than me because if I were ever to meet there are several, I'm just like, I can be cool. I can be cool and I can be an adult and I can be a normal human being. But I know in my heart of hearts, there are two or three people in this world that if I were to meet them, I would have an absolute meltdown and have to be escorted out. I've done pretty good meeting You've my heroes. You've met a lot of very cool people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like I acted normal. I mean, I, I told a story I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> 
And you told me not to tell him, and I don't did anyway. Tell, I said specifically, don't tell him that story. And he went, I'm going to tell him. Um, yeah, I think the very first hero I ever met was Sir Terry Pratchett. Mm-hmm. When we went on that road trip, when, how old were you? I was just out of high school. I you was, were out of high school? Yeah, I was working at Shade at the time. Okay. So, at least you were technically an adult. I technically. Was, I was 14, so it was you and your friend mm-hmm. who were 18 or 19. Yep. And then I was 14, and we went on, like, a three-day trip to Colorado to meet, because Sir Terry Pratchett was going on a signing tour for I Shall Wear Midnight. Yes. Wow, that was great. Uh, my favorite my favorite bit was during the Q&A when Jess asked, can there be more Vimes in the next book? And little 14-year-old me goes, please. And everyone in the bookstore started to laugh. Um, but yeah, animation. Um, oh my gosh, when I was interviewing for a job somewhere, uh, the last step is I had to do a storyboard pitch of, of boards I had done. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to just be the director and the producer of the film that I was on, mm-hmm. but apparently it was a slow day at their office. So I walked in and there were three directors and producers and the person who owned the studio and there ended up being like 11 people in a theater watching me. And I was very good at keeping my cool because listen, I know it's not good life advice for everything, but a lot of times in my head, I just chant, conceal it, don't feel it, don't (laughs) let it show. Uh, And then let's see, what was the other time? Oh, one time I ran into Alex Hirsch at CTN. And I got to shake his hand and I said, thanks for Gravity Falls. It meant a lot. And I thought the ending was wonderful. He said, oh, wow, thanks. He's very chill. Oh my gosh. And then there was (laughs) a time. Okay. So scared me. Sorry. Again at CTN. I met a lot of famous animation people at CTN. Uh, I'm in the front row of an artist presentation. And guess who sits down next to me? John Musker. Emily's face. She's still like, he co-directed Aladdin, Hercules, Princess and the Frog, Moana, The Little Mermaid. Ah! I knew as long as I kept listing movies, I'd find what Emily liked. Um, I like all those. Yeah. uh, He sat down next to me. Okay. He, listen, he cracked a joke first during this guy's presentation. Okay. All right. But then since he quietly cracked a joke to me, I'm like, oh, it's okay to crack jokes. So I'm very quick on my feet. And so I would lean over and like make puns or like say another joke based on what the presenter was saying. And I was making him laugh a lot. And the presenter, who was a guy from Disney, um, this was an art director who worked on projects with Disney. He stops and he turns and he's like, John. Could you stop laughing during my presentation? And John Musker says, I can't help it. It's this charming young woman. <laughs> That's amazing. There you go. Those are some of my, those are some of my meet your hero stories. Those are good because they always tell you don't meet your heroes. Maybe not always, but Yeah. Okay, so I think it should be don't worship your heroes. There we go. There are people yeah, and listen, we're all just plain old folks. Mm-hmm. And and the the circles you and I run in, writers, artists, animators, creatives, a lot of people are socially anxious. <laughs> they I might, know what that's like. They might be just as scared to meet you. <laughs> I had a friend at work. 
he comes up to me one day and he goes, do you know this author? And I'm like, oh my gosh, of course I know about this author. He's like an international bestseller and he did this and he did this and he wrote this. And like, I knew who he was talking about. Uh And he goes, okay. And then he left. And I was like, okay. Later that day he comes to me, he goes, I didn't know he did all those things. I was like, yeah. And he wrote this. And I'm like, so I'm like, I know this. It goes, I had lunch at his house the other day. (laughs) I just went, what? He didn't know who this author was. And he said, he was just sitting next to him. I guess his wife knew the author's wife, and Mm -hmm. so they were friends or whatever. And he goes, yeah, I sit next to him. I go, so what do you do for a living? And he goes, I write books. He goes, oh, (laughs) have I heard of any of (laughs) (laughs) We still don't, we still talk about it and joke about it to this day, because I just thought that was. So funny, because if you don't run in those circles, you have no idea. It's yeah. Not, like, if, if I met a basketball or football player, yeah. I would have no idea what they did, what their stats were, mm-hmm, nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure all the guys at work would have been like, you don't know who that is? <laughs> but I will say, my heroes that I could never meet because when I get too overwhelmed, I just go red and then can't mm-hmm. talk. Is that why your hair's that color? That's <laughs> because it's always, I'm always that way. Um, it would be Chris Evans. Okay. And Harrison Ford. Oh. I yeah. could, I will never be able to meet those, my, those heroes of mine. Never, ever, 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 ever. Actually, I have a list of people I'd like to meet and I've been able to check some names off. That's very cool. And although I haven't met her in person... I did write a letter to Emma Thompson uh, when I was at a hard point in my career, and she wrote a very wonderful reply back. That's lovely. And it is my prized possession, and it's up in a, a frame in my in my front room. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. I love that. Anyway, Dallinard does a great job meeting his hero. He does. He's just like... And in fact, he suggests to him... Okay, this is the other thing. So he's like, no, you should write a book. How to offend Lighthouse in five <laughs> syllables or less. And the guy's like, I don't have time to write a book. I don't need to write a book. And Dallinger's like, no, it's very important that you do this. So tangent time again. We just got back. <laughs> <laughs> We're going anyway. Here we go. So there are instances in books and movies where people time travel or mostly time travel, I guess that would be the point. And they meet someone very famous who's very well known, either an artist or a musician or Mm -hmm. whatever. And the person that's time traveled is talking to this famous person is like, oh, have you thought about this? Like, have you thought about painting this? I was just going to say, Amy in the Vincent Van Gogh episode being like, you should paint sunflowers. And Vincent's like, I don't want to paint sunflowers. Yeah. Or I know there's another one somewhere, but um, then the person goes on to do that thing. And it always bothers me because I'm like, so would they not have, I mean, obviously they're time traveling. It's, it's made up. I understand this, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but would that person have been able to do the thing had it not been suggested by someone who already knew the person was going to do the thing? So you are referencing a type of phenomenon called the closed loop paradox. I hate closed loop paradoxes. I hate them. Well, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do you prefer... Back to the future time travel, where everything you say completely changes the future? Yes. Really? Yeah. See, I don't like that. Oh. I like that we go with the intention to change time, 
but instead of actually changing our reality, it gives us a better perspective on the reality that we've experienced. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. yeah. I guess what I don't like is the fact that everything's in stone and nothing can change. Okay. I like the idea of making mistakes and fixing them or whatever, that what you do can make things better or make things worse and you have to be responsible. So is Dalinar time traveling? I don't know. I thought he was, I thought he was jumping into other people's bodies. Mm -hmm. But when he's like, the guy's like, I'm not going to write a book. And Dalinar's like, I'll write it for you. And the guy's like, you only have one arm. Yeah. So, so Dalinar sees himself as himself in these visions. Mm -hmm. Um, But apparently the, uh, everyone else sees him as someone they already know in their lives. Yes. So I thought he was jumping into other people's bodies and, like, seeing what they saw. I don't know if he's time traveling. I don't know how it works. We'll probably never find out. Never, ever. But Dalinar recognizes where they are. Oh. Oh, that's right. Uh, He says, Kolinar, he thought, my homeland. Uh, Because if you remember Capsule's cymatics experiment Mm -hmm. colinar's streets are laid out in a very particular pattern yes dalinar recognizes that pattern yes very cool anyway noadon noadon is talking about basically he's he's looking over the destruction of his people with great anguish Mm -hmm. and he talks about how there uh this isn't a time for writing it's a time for action and unfortunately, a time for the sword, which shocks Dalinar because mm-hmm. the way of kings is all, the book is all about how great peace is yeah. and everything. He's very confused. Not confused, but concerned, I guess. Mm-hmm. And now we're reaching the end of Dalinar's vision and there's usually a different voice that picks up. Hold on. There's a line in here that I want to talk about really fast. And we're not going to go into a, a big thing, but... um. I know we're not talking a lot about the chapters themselves right now. We're doing some tangents, but they are talking about, uh, Dalinar says, you cannot give up your throne. The people need a leader. They have leaders, Noah Don said. There are princes, kings, soul casters, surge binders. We never lack men and women who wish to lead, which I don't feel that that is the social structure i guess that they have where dalinar's used to because you've confirmed that the throne can't pass to women and like navani obviously can't have the throne and we talk about this later where she she left the main kingdom because she's like i felt useless because i'm just the king's widow i can't do anything i make people uncomfortable and she is an engineer and she's very very you know she's really cool even though i really still am having a hard time trusting her and we'll talk about that later I don't know. I'm just I'm just trying to pick up on some things that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's different now than it was. And uh, there are he said that soul casters were leaders and surge binders were leaders. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming so, yeah. you could be man or woman to do that, but I, we haven't had any mm-hmm. confirmation yet. Yeah. So these days, all we know about soul casters is that the king is over all the soul casters. Okay. They don't seem to be... A leader. Yeah. They're like... Not like the Ardents. They're not owned, mm-hmm. but I think they're controlled by the crown. And the only thing you know about search binders is they need a nail bond to do it. <laughs> no, I don't even know that! You should! <laughs> Put the pieces together! <laughs> so, Dalinar eventually gets snapped... Oh, you were talking about the voice. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, usually at the end of Dalinar's uh, visions, another voice comes and he asks it questions. There's no voice this time. Um, he just, he comes Is back. he getting visions from two different people, two different opposing sides? Because there's the one voice that's like, trust Sadius. We'll talk about why that might be a problem. And then no one's talking in this one. Oh. <gasps> did I stumble across something? Did you? <gasps> did I? Did you? Maybe. Did you know? <laughs> Because voice doesn't say anything, and Dalinar comes back out of it, and, you know, Navani and Renarn and Adolin have been party to this and have uh, witnessed this. Because everyone's just like, oh, when you go into these visions, you speak gibberish and you do all these, you know, weird things. But Navani recognizes some of the words that... Dalinar was speaking. Because she writes down his gibberish phonetically. Mm-hmm. Like she's she's using shorthand or whatever. Yeah. And there is a line that Dalinar says while he's in his vision that Noadon says to him, and it's to be human is to want that which we cannot have. And then Navani was like, what, what was the last thing you said? And he repeats it to her. Um, and she reads back what she said and... Emily, you said, oh my gosh, is Dalinar going to be the, oh, is I said, is Dalinar the new Rosetta Stone? Because Navani thinks she can translate this ancient forgotten language Mm -hmm. from this one thing. And Adolin's kind of like, no, no, it was, it was a lucky guess. And Navani's just like, it was a lucky guess that this one line Exactly. Like, he didn't just, like, state it. He basically translated it, Adolin. Like, mm-hmm. hello. And this is the proof they've been looking for, is that Dalinar's visions are real. And Adolin does not know how to handle this. Uh, I'm going to jump you back to one of the epigraphs from part three, which is um, the epigraphs that are Yasna's notes mm-hmm. about the Voidbringers. Okay. Though many wish Yurithiru to be built in Alethala, it was obvious that it could not be. And so it was that we asked for it to be placed westward in the place nearest to honor. Perhaps the oldest surviving original source mentioning the city requoted in the Vavribar, Vavribrar, Vavribrar? Line 1804, what I wouldn't give for a way to translate the dawn chant. Oh yeah, because Navani's like, we could translate the dawn chant yeah she is super excited and i and i see where like yasna gets it from like this mm-hmm. is this will be a cool thing i almost want to see mother and daughter team up to do like this scholarly quest yeah well uh time for a new chapter Woo! right for wrong uh the epigraph is in the storm i awaken falling spinning grieving Dated Kakanov 1173, 13 seconds pre-death. Subject was a city guardsman. And it's Navani and Dalinar talking about his vision. And... Uh, Emily, what happens in this chapter? Well... Um... Dalinar. Tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
tell Megan. Maybe you want to do an interpretive dance or something. <laughs> Navani and Dalinar give in to their feelings for each other. Okay, calm down, everyone. It's just kissing. <laughs> for Dalinar, though, that's like third base. <laughs> Listen, he has kids. He's made it that far. He doesn't remember. (laughs) I don't mean to be dirty. Are you saying? No, don't say that. Mentally, at least. He's not (laughs) to go there but now i'm like well emily you're right he does not remember the touch of a woman this is to his mind the furthest he's ever gone (laughs) and here's the thing so as i'm reading this i the kiss happens and i fully expected dalinar to freak out and like run away and leave and go like think about it and brood about it and like go dig another latrine or whatever Mm mm-hmm but he has, like, committed to this. Like, uh-huh. it's not, like, a spur of the moment. He's thought about this for years. Because if we remember, mm-hmm. he loved Navani. And he had to step aside, basically, for his brother. Even though, like, Navani chose, quote-unquote, chose Gavilar. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a spur of the moment impulse. This is something that he's like, this is what I want. What? Just thinking about Dalinar getting another shot at his beak. <laughs> oh, no. What have I done? What have I done? Uh, you're right. He has committed. But before we fully commit, can we jump back to the beginning of the chapter? Because yes. this case happens a little further near the end. Um, I want to talk about how Adolin, Navani, Renarin are very excited that mm-hmm. this proof will vindicate Dalinar in the eyes of the war camp. And Dalinar's still a little worried. Yeah. Because uh, he feels it's a little too close to prophecy. Mm-hmm. And then Renarin has a genius insight. He's so smart. He's like, well, you're obviously having visions of the past. You, There's nothing to foretell because it's already <laughs> happened. But Adolin and Dalinar have spoken with the Ardents. And the Ardents have declared it is unlikely the Almighty is sending these. So, who could it be? I don't know. I don't know. Because, okay, I'm going to throw out a couple theories. Uh Uh-huh. It's the dude that got sent to hell, Adam Winchester. Uh, that would be Talenalat. Talenalat is out somehow. Uh He's come for revenge, and so he's, like, using Dalinar as a pawn. Or maybe it is the Stormfather, and he's just, like, nudging Dalinar in a couple directions and is not giving a lot of guidance. Mm -hmm. Um... It could be, because I'm still on this this thing, it could be wizards. It could be wizards. It could be wizards. They take people on adventures they don't want to go on, and they... Yep, could be wizards. <laughs> Navani is like, do you think it has anything to do with the time you sought the old magic? Oh, that's right! Oh, and I don't think his kids knew that he'd done that up until that point. Mm-hmm. 
but they know what happens when you go and it's kind of frowned upon like it's not forbidden but basically if you go and do this thing where you get uh, a you like get your heart's desire or whatever but you also lose something um it's like you have to go pay penance you have to go talk to the ardents or something and they're like go say what's that thing in catholicism absolution I don't know. We're not Catholic. I don't know. We're not Catholic. I'm sorry, guys. Um, Where you have to like go say like five Hail Marys or yeah, there was confession. Something... Listen, I'm remembering this faintly from my history courses. And it was one of the things that uh, Martin Luther, when he nailed up his 95 theses to the door, that this is one of the things. I think it was like paying for absolution. Mm-hmm. So like Dalinar literally had to pay spheres to give the poor and he had to commission a series of prayers None of them removed the effects of the Night Watcher or lessened his sense of guilt. Because, remember you guys, we remember, he doesn't remember. He doesn't remember his wife. What she looks like, what her name is, and when people talk about her, like, it, it like, statics out. So he he doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they're trying to figure out, like, maybe this is part of it. Maybe this is the visions that you're getting Mm -hmm. because of... What you went and did. Yeah, because Navani says a lot of devout light eyes eventually make their way to the Valley, capital V. Oh. And Renarin says that he has recently asked for a number of readings about the old magic. I would guess out of anyone, Renarin would be next to go. Mm-hmm. I would be so surprised if he has not gone or yeah. will not go. And so we learned about this during one of the interludes. Like mm-hmm. somebody went, but uh, it's reiterated that the Night Watcher gives curses in exchange for granting small desires. Always one curse and one desire. Father, I assume you know what both of these are. Yes, Dalinar said, I know exactly what my curse was, and it does not relate to this. Oh, so he asked for something else, but we don't know what that is yet. Is that yeah. what he's saying? Okay. You're right, because uh, you had some theories that. Uh, that you think he might have asked for strength or a particular weapon mm-hmm. um, or particular knowledge. If he was and younger, yeah, I think I said he would have gone and not used it on something frivolous, yeah. but not very long term. Yeah. So your theory was is that he asked for particular knowledge and that his curse was the Night Watcher literally cleared space in his brain. Yeah. By Rebooted him. Yep. But we also got confirmation in this chapter of a question you had back when we first found out Dalinar right. forgot his wife. So Renarin mentions, he says, Mother told me the story when I was a child. And so Renarin remembers his mom, can speak his, like, can say mother speaks his name. So she, he obviously hasn't forgotten her. But Dalinar hasn't told them that he can't remember their mom. Yep. Which I don't, okay. If dad came to us and said he'd done something like that and he didn't remember mom, uh huh, how would you handle that? I don't know. Like that's because I don't think the I don't think Dalinar's told Renarin and Aelin. About that's what this. I'm saying. Yeah. Like if I'm assuming they're gonna find out. I mean, we have how many thousands of pages? <laughs> okay, so. okay, okay. But Emily, what? When I was little, I thought something like this had happened. What? Okay, when I was young, I didn't have a very good understanding of exactly how marriage and or divorce worked. Um, so when I was very young and I first saw Star Wars, how old would I have been? This you is were in like Louisiana. Four? Yeah. Five? Something I'm gonna like say, that? I'm going to say four. Yeah. Because I was birthday, obsessed with yeah, it. Yeah, what birthday did you get all the VHSs? I don't know. Whenever the special editions came out. 97? 96? We moved in 96. 
Maybe moved in 97, 98. Oh, Doesn't matter. Anyway, so I'm like four or five when I first see Star Wars, and I am 100% convinced that my father is Harrison Ford. I thought that my dad was in the Star Wars movies playing oh, Han Solo. That's so cute. Well, wait. Okay. Uh, I also knew that the only people you were allowed to kiss are people you are married to. And so I'm like, my dad was married to the woman who played Princess Leia in that movie because they had to cast. Okay, so I knew that actors were actors because of seeing Jordi LaForge on Star Trek and also on Reading Rainbow. <laughs> so I knew that actors weren't who they really were, that you were pretending to be somebody in a movie. <laughs> However, you had to cast married couples in order to play people who fell in love on screen because in my mind, you're only allowed to kiss the people to whom you are married. But dad had married my mom to have us kids. Mm -hmm. So my theory was... Princess, the actress who had played Princess Leia had passed away after they filmed the movies and dad had fallen in love with mom after that. Aww. And I knew not to ask him about the woman who played Princess Leia because it would have been very sad that his Aww. first wife had died. <laughs> so. Your brain. I know. <laughs> so many interesting do you, connections. Do you remember when we were reading this book series together and only three of the books had come out? And I was like, it's so weird for the series to have ended there. And you're like, the book's not, uh, the series isn't over. And I'm like, yes it is. And you're like, there's going to be another book coming out next year. And I'm like, how? The author's dead. This was in fourth grade, <laughs> mind you. We'll miss know-it-all. Yeah. And you're like, what? And I'm like, yeah. The author's already dead. The books are over. And after you'd asked me a few more probing questions, it came to light that I was under the impression that to be an author, you had to write your whole life. And upon your death, a boxed set of your works was published <laughs> posthumously. Because we had, in our childhood home, a full box set of the Terran Wanderer Black Cauldron series. Dead, dead author. A box set of The Lord of the Rings dead a box set of the chronicles of narnia dead all of the anna green gables books dead <laughs> all the Roald doll books dead <laughs> didn't know the author was a living career you could have lucky you lucky you now look at me now <laughs> weirdo anyway your words so... not mine <laughs> hey uh Somebody asks, what's a void bringer? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, all right, Emily. Sorry, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information in these chapters, mm -hmm. which, and I think it's brought up in a good way, this exposition, mm -hmm. because it's characters who know stuff and they're asking questions and they're brainstorming. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a good way to get us a lot of exposition. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, it's very interesting because... I recognize that this isn't info dumping, but I recognize that we're getting important information. And we're almost done with the book. Mm -hmm. And I find it fascinating that we're still getting new stuff about the world. Yeah. So we we find out what the Voidbringer's goal is. Oh, that's right. Okay, you guys, the Voidbringers, this is what Navani says. The Voidbringers came again and again, trying to force mankind off Roshar and into damnation. Just as they once forced mankind and the heralds out of the tranquiline halls. And so we've heard this story about how they're, you know, when you die, if you're a good soldier or whatever, your reward will be you're going to go fight 
in the Tranquiline Halls to, like, re- to reclaim it. Yeah. So this whole time I'm thinking Voidbringers, big, mythical, scary beasts, whatever. But Navani brings up they could have been, like, a group of radicals. Like, it could have been, like, mytholo- mm-hmm. mythologized? Mythologized? Turned it's into the this? legendary legend yeah. of legends. This <laughs> Goku skills for the stuff of legend. <laughs> so that's making me think because all of a sudden I'm like, magic, wizards, wizards. all this stuff. And then it's like. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Voidbringers are wizards. Oh, that's not what I said. The wizard is a Voidbringer. <laughs> that's not what I said. Alcatraz versus <laughs> the wizard. <laughs> the wizard Voidbringers. That's not what I meant. Um, so anyway, you're a wizard, boy. <laughs> I'm just trying to theorize, and you're, you're doing great. Fun of me. You're doing great. I'm not gonna do this podcast anymore. <laughs> Listen, I there, I am two sides of a coin, and one of them is let me walk you through what an hail bond does to a surge binder and the other side of a coin is haha fart noise wizard. <laughs> we never know which side we're gonna get <laughs> so yeah like i really appreciate this about brandon sanderson because listen if it was me writing this i'd be like let me get through this as fast as i can so that i can like get well, the book done yeah you're um your writer's group some of the feedback they gave you on your last book was that Hey, you don't have to tell us all of this in the first chapter. Like, you can have a mystery. I'm like, what's that? (laughs) And so I really appreciate this about Brandon Sanderson is that the the pacing of the world and the information is done in a way that, like, I'm still interested in finding out and I'm not tired of it. Mm -hmm. Which I think that's a really hard skill to, like, have. Yeah. The children leave. (laughs) Oh my gosh, and Navani ends up shutting the door? Yep. Like, she's not, like, cornered him, but but this scene is so great because Dalinar is not, like, we mustn't. He's kind of, like, here's, he, let me lay out a few things, you know? He's not, like, being reactive. He's just, like, what was one of the things? Um... Does nothing bring you passion anymore, Dalinar? Oh, yeah, and he's, like... I feel passion all the time. I can't turn off the passion. My insides are like, <laughs> could have fooled me. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> maybe they're not eels. Maybe they're butterflies. <laughs> well, does Rishar have butterflies? <gasps> they're like sky eels, which are <laughs> Rishar <and> butterflies. <laughs> I'm just thinking of tapeworms now and parasites. <laughs> well, yeah, they don't. Nothing on Rashar is delicate that we've seen so far. Do not take it back. Spren are delicate delicate. and beautiful. But yeah, um, butterflies would not do well in a high store. No, they would not. So, um, so Delinar again is like, well, it's not proper. We shouldn't be doing this. And Navani, we see like this because she's always been very calm and cool. And like the only kind of emotion we see from her is when she's talking about Fabriel's and her passion and so he's like my brother you know your husband and she's she kind of just like your brother Navani spat expression flashing with anger why must everyone always focus on him everyone worries so much about the man who died he's not here Dalinar he's gone I miss him but not as half as much as you do I have here and that's when she goes on to say like 
I had to leave the capital because I have no place. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, like, the the queen that reigns there now, like, that was my place, and now it's someone else's, you know, and she's lonely. Like, it, it comes out that she's lonely. And this is a really great scene because they talk about, you know, she's like, I thought you hated me when I picked Gavilar. And he's like, I had to push you away. So, like, not so you wouldn't feel bad, but so that this wouldn't happen while Gavilar was alive. Because mm-hmm. that could not happen. Uh, we find out that Dalinar and Navani were friends before she even met Gavilar. Yeah, they've been like... Laughing. I held her first! Oh, oh no. wait, no. <laughs> that is a song about a dad and a daughter. Never mind. <laughs> Retracted. And she is crying. Yeah. And then they kiss, and they describe the kiss for three quarters of a page. It's a good, it's a good kiss. Yeah. In the history of romance, there have only been four kisses that were this passionate, this pure. This one left them all behind. Is this a kissing book? It's a kissing podcast. (laughs) Well, not with each other. You'll hear me pick up a cat sometimes and go on its forehead, but they also hate that, so... So the kiss is wonderful. Technically, we're an anti-kissing podcast because we keep eating stinky foods. <laughs> beware. Uh, Listeners, beware. The kiss is wonderful, and there is a new spren watch. Passion spren, like tiny flakes of crystalline snow, floated down in the air around them. Guilt flooded him again. He tried gently to push her away, but she clung to him, holding on tight. Hush, she pressed his head against her chest. We can't. Hush, she said. <laughs> so he's... <laughs> so... <laughs> um, but she tells him... <laughs> she tells him, I need you. And Navani doesn't need anybody. Mm-hmm. Here's why I'm worried about this, folks. Uh-huh. <sighs> okay, I obviously don't have all the facts. Uh-huh. This is going to be super biased uh-huh. from me. Uh-huh. She picked Gavilar over him. Uh-huh. I'm assuming it was a political thing. Uh-huh. But <laughs> she also kind of played them off each other. Uh-huh. And Dalinar talks about, like, he was always sure she was going to pick him, but it didn't mean that hurt any less. I'm afraid that Dalinar is being a pawn in multiple schemes, and one of them is Navani's. So you're afraid of Ponzi schemes? <laughs> The dog is making this a kissing podcast. <laughs> uh, so, I, so you think Navani is faking it? I think her feelings, here's my fear, is that she's taking some feelings that she has and amping them up to manipulate Dalinar into doing what? I don't know. I don't know what she wants from him. She obviously thinks he's stronger and basically better than her son if her son bites it i think dalinar's in line for the throne next and she could be queen again she doesn't seem to like her son very much she doesn't he thinks he's weak (gasps) oh she might she might have been the one but she came after all that well master manipulator messengers spread ren spreads read spreads spread reads (laughs) You mean span reads? Wow, watch out for red spreads. <laughs> but I'm um, spread watch. All right. So that's my fear. That's, One fear. That's a good fear. <laughs> and you know what Navani's afraid of? Yasna. What? 
My daughter seeks something, Navani said. She frightens me sometimes. She's so intense. I honestly believe she's the most intelligent person I've ever known. And the thing she searches for, Dalinar, she believes that something very dangerous is near. Oh, because she's researching Voidbringers and Desolation. Mm -hmm. Is she just researching Desolations? Okay. She's searching the Voidbringers and she's specifically researching Urethiru. That's right. Well, great job, Dalinar. So as they're as they're getting ready to part ways, um, Dalinar's like, well, first Navani was like, well, you kissed me. And Dalinar's like, you seduced me into it. <laughs> and Navani's just like, I have never been more opus and honest in my entire life than I was at that moment. He goes, yeah, that's what did it. <laughs> and I'm like, ah! <laughs> so- Navani writes in her notebook, he likes it when I'm open. <laughs> Then we finally move on to Kaladin and uh, what's oh this chapter about some arts and crafts. Oh, this chapter was so good, you guys. So good. It was so good. It was so good. Uh, so Kaladin writes glyphs uh, on his armband. Didn't he buy it? You are right. <laughs> uh, Kaladin has bought a prayer tied onto his arm, and it has three glyphs: wind protection beloved and it is a prayer to someone it's a it's a prayer to yazarize who i recognize the name oh the storm father wait stop uh-huh stop i've not said anything stop okay okay you said it was tony stark uh so from if you guys remember the prologue the prelude chapter one that's how he's keeping track of everybody there was captain america tony stark adam winchester and his name was yesvrian in the oh i thought that was i thought yesarize was in the prologue uh his name was yesvrian in the prologue but um there's in seth's in the prelude Seth is going past the statues of the heralds, and one of the heralds is missing, but uh, he names, this. the statues are named Yezerze, Ishi, Kelek, and Telenalot. Uh, and there's there's actually nine of them, but those are the, the only ones that, that we meet. And then also Shalash, uh, mm-hmm. her statue is missing. Okay, so wait, time out. I'm very confused because names change. So mm-hmm. I thought you said Yazarize was in the first chapter uh, with the swords. He is. So he is the Stormfather? He is worshipped as the Stormfather. <gasps> Interesting. Why? Mm, I hate this. I hate that I feel like I know so much and now I feel like I'm in kindergarten again. Who's George Washington? I don't know. Some guy. <laughs> Some guy named Tyrion. <laughs> well, okay. I'm, I'm trying to think of a... Of a... Because I'm also thinking Stormfather, the big huge face that Kaladin saw in the storm, I assumed was the Stormfather. That seems like a pretty good assumption because uh, his face was in the storm. Yeah. So uh, the, the prelude was 5,000 years ago. Yes. And we know the names of the people from the prelude. Um, Taln was the dude who was sent to Super Hell, mm-hmm. the EBDB. <laughs> uh, Kalek, in the modern day, they, they worship someone named Kalek. Mm-hmm. And then Yezrian 
was the who you called Tony Stark, the neatly trimmed beard mm-hmm. in the prologue. And in the modern day, they worship someone named Diazerize, the Storm Father. Okay. Now, what is true and what is myth has turned to legend has turned to religion. Okay. So they worship Yazerize as the Storm Father. So he might not literally. Uh, he might not literally, but he might. We don't know what powers the the heralds had. It's true. I just like things to be in neat little boxes and have betrayal. <laughs> I just one box of betrayal, please. <laughs> yeah. So he bought it because it reminded him of the prayers that his mother used to create when he was younger. That's right. And Kaladin has a plan. He hasn't really told everyone what it is right he's just like if i die then what's his name town town teft teft if i die then teft's in charge like if i die tonight then teft is gonna take you guys to escape like Mm -hmm. he's making all of these plans and (laughs) moash is not impressed he's no neither is emily (laughs) so whatever they're about to do is dependent on what is in this water carrier. Um, <clears throat> real fast before we get to that, mm-hmm. Kaladin has noticed. That's right. Oh, so Kaladin has noticed that Dalinar Colet. Well, Dal- if you guys remember, Dalinar and Sadius have teamed up together to take on the Parsendi together, and Dalinar's like, "Yay, I'm uniting them!" And <clears throat> Sadius is probably like, "Yay, I get like." I get part of a gem whether I get it or not. Like, this is great for me. Um, and he, Kaladin realizes that Dalinar is using bridge crews. Not pulled by chills, pulled by people. And he's, like, basically so much for his honor. Like, yeah, like he's really disappointed. So, Kaladin has stored whatever his arts and crafts project was from desiccating the Prashendi bodies. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's storing it in the water litter that Lopin is carrying. Yes. And, you know, they're standing at attention. The the soldiers are crossing. And a lot of soldiers, we know, like, are very derivative. Derivative? Derisive. Derisive. Thank you. Of the bridge crews, even though, like, they wouldn't be able to get to the battles without the bridge crew and blah, 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 blah. And a soldier comes over to demand water. And Kaladin and Lopin are kind of like, if they find this, we are in huge trouble. And Kaladin stands up to him and is like, you have your own water. This is ours. And the soldier is going to make trouble. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the bridge crew come and form, is it like a V formation behind Kaladin? Yeah, they just gather up like a, like a a boy band. (laughs) And basically just flex. Like, they they all make fists and flex their muscles to show, look how big our deltoids are who carry the bridge. (laughs) Do you guys remember the scene in Megamind where, um, (laughs) Metro Man flexes his calves and the leather fringe goes, boom, it's a shockwave. Yes. So uh, the soldier's just like, I didn't want any of your stupid water anyway. Probably got a bunch of cram in it. Yeah. And and Kaladin's like, oh, thank goodness. And then he's like, oh, I hope nobody realized that was a spear, like, formation. brigade formation. Like, we would be in even more trouble. No one says anything, thank goodness. But I think he gets claps from some of the other soldiers. Like, they see, maybe I'm making that up. 
they received more than a few appreciative looks from the other soldiers in line. For once, there was something other than scowls. So I think people are like, huh, good job, buddy. Maybe that soldier was the biggest jerk out of the whole thing, and they're just like, finally, somebody's put him in his place. Uh, So Kaladin has assigned particular spots for today's bridge run. Uh, He's making sure that, he's made sure that Rock and Moash are on the front line with him, what's known as the death line. Mm -hmm. And Shen is in the very back. You guys, my heart uh, is broken. And Kaladin's made sure that his, he's got a pouch of as many infused spheres as they could get. And Lopin mentions that he may make trouble for this soldier too, because Lopin's got a cousin on the the real water cruise. Oh, oh. and Kaladin's like, how many cousins do you have? <laughs> Lopin's like, never enough. <laughs> and I'm just like, I feel like Lopin is like from the mafia. The mob. Like, that's his family, you know? <laughs> everybody's everybody's cousins with the with the Herdazians. So, the bridgement's a rock. Nobody knows what Kaladin's planning Yeah, to nobody. Do. He hasn't told a single soul. And Kaladin just tells Rock and Moesh that he's going to get out from under the bridge when they're running. And he's just like, you keep it going. No matter what I do, keep it going. Mm-hmm. And... Rock asks, this thing you will try, is it dangerous? Can I help? I'm also afraid Rock's gonna die. I'm putting that out in the universe. The Discord sent me a Rock picture to show you. They did! Because you guys remember, I only see Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> I'll, I'll show it to you after we record, okay, but they specifically good. were like, show this picture I drew of Rock to Emily. Oh, so. I would love to see that! Yeah. Thanks, guys! Um... Ladies, everybody, <laughs> whomever. Anyway, uh, what did Kaladin make? <sighs> Kaladin is a glory. Whoa! <laughs> Language. Been out. Like, he's listen. I was so surprised that he did this. I'm like, there are so many harebrained other schemes you could have done, sir. I completely understand your train of thought through this whole thing. Oh my gosh. He has created a suit of armor out of the carapace, carapaces? Carapace and bones. Of, and bones of the fallen Parshendi that they found in the caverns, chasms. And he's, like I said, created a, a suit of armor. He gets out and is pulling it on. And the Parshendi on the other side, they see him and they stop singing. And that never happens. Like, Parshendi sing all the time, even as they are dying. Yeah. Like, there's a song for everything. And all of a sudden, every single Parshendi arrow bowman is shooting at Kaladin. They are so enraged at the desecration of the body of their fallen comrade Mm -hmm. that he draws all the fire to him. He's got, like, uh, like a shield mm-hmm. and he's just like running zigzags yeah and oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh so he's got the shield with bones on it what color are Prashendi oh bones? the bones bones are not dyed bones are not painted they're red they're naturally red mm-hmm. and Kaladin draws in stormlight oh that's right he has a whole pouch of infused spheres and he uses it to like 
get his energy up and like wherever he gets cut or whatever like stormlight leaks out of him and i was freaking out because i'm just like how is no one seeing this but megan said like if you turn on a flashlight during the day you're not yeah. gonna really be able and to see he even he makes eye contact with teft a little bit after and you know teft shakes his head and, and they had Basically, Teft was checking. Is it obvious that this is what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And they hadn't been able to see any stormlight when Caliban is, yeah. is doing this. Like, So if this was happening at night, it would probably be different. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only is he dodging better, but he is pulling the arrows to the shield on his arm. Yes. Yes. So there's a few that get through and like there's like holes in his jersey and everything. Mm-hmm. When he realizes... Because if you remember, like, his very first run with the bridge crew, his very, 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 very first run, there are arrows, like, everywhere in the bridge where he is. But, like, almost like a cartoon outline mm-hmm. of, like, where his hands were. And he's just like, how long have I been doing this? He's realizing suddenly this is not, this is maybe not a new skill he's had. Or at least not one that he's recognized as, as having ha- happened. Um and so I'm interested to see if he can go back and and maybe get a timeline because we haven't we haven't really seen anything in his flashbacks that indicate so far that he has done this before, like when he's a kid or, you know, training to be a surgeon. So there's another mystery of how long has Kaladin been doing this? How long has he been controlling this? And now what is he capable of now that he's aware of it? There's a moment in one of the bridge crews, the early bridge crews that Kaladin goes on. Because doesn't it Rock say it at one point? Or, like, he's like, I saw the arrows didn't touch you. And basically, he was in the death spot. He was in the front. Like, mm-hmm. everybody around him died, but he didn't. And everyone's like, oh, it's just sheer dumb luck. And it obviously it's not. There's, it's the bit in part two where he takes Rock's spot but it mentions him screaming as he's carrying the bridge and then the arrows uh, hit the bridge all around him. Mm-hmm. So, Emily. Yes? Way back in our podcast, <laughs> I said, we've seen something like this before. <laughs> and you said where, and I decided not to tell you. And then I committed violence. You Hit I'm me sorry. Very hard. I did not. And you said, uh, "Hey!" And then you go, "Smack!" Listeners, listen to the podcast. You it's hear the smack. tiny, and I apologize. It was tiny, and I should not have hit her. Hitting is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hit, but it's okay for Seth to murder people. <laughs> um, so where we've seen someone do this mm-hmm. is in the prologue. Seth does this right it's the second kind of lashing we oh he creates a penumbra effect around the door and all the spears that get thrown at him suck right into the door that's just that that's further proving that it's his uncle that's (laughs) kaladin's uncle and he's gonna come and teach kaladin how to fight and be his wise mentor (laughs) all right if magic is hereditary we don't know. We don't know who his grandparents are. We don't know. We don't know anything about his mom's side of the family. Yeah, you've got a grandparent watch. You don't know who Cal's grandparents are. We don't know who are. they are. Nope. So, do you remember the three kinds of lashing that Seth uses? He does the one where he can go up and where he can turn gravity. 
Yeah, so he can change the direction of gravity. So, like, at one point, he's in a hallway, and he basically, like, like he had jumped down a well or something, but mm -hmm. he just, like, flew down the hallway like he was yep. free-falling. Then there was the penumbra one where you, like, pull it. Yeah. And then there was the, the gravity one where he, like, lashes the balcony and, like, brings it down. Or is that the same thing? That's the same thing. Okay, so the three kinds of lashing are Seth can change gravity for himself. Okay. He can change an object so it has gravity. So there is a basic lashing that gives him the ability to manipulate gravity. And with this, you can bind people or objects to different surfaces or in different directions. Okay. And we saw Kaladin do that. With the bag he sticks to the water barrel. That's right. Oh, you guys, so much happens and I forget so much. Thank you for walking me through this. <laughs> You're welcome. So that was that was a basic lashing. And then the next kind is a full lashing, which uh, Seth does when he puts, uh, it, it binds objects together, holding them until the stormlight runs out. And so Seth does that when he like splatters stormlight, like paint up against a door remember and he sends a rock crashing into a door mm -hmm. and then a reverse lashing is what he does to the doorway got it and so we have seen kaladin bind objects together um and we've seen him basically send arrows to the bridge and now sending arrows to his shield instead mm -hmm. so he has distracted the parshendi archmen bowmen archers archers so well that they win the battle. Yeah. That Sadius's armies win the battle. Like they don't lose any other bridgemen. No. Because every single archer is concentrated on him to the point where when Sadius's forces get to them, they just crash through. The archers do not even notice the cavalry coming. Yeah. War crimes. These are the war crimes we talked about at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like, Kaladin desecrated a body. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I don't like what he's done. Mm -hmm. It has got results, and I understand, like, his desperation to, like, save his bridge crew. But, like, mm -hmm. the way that Shen reacts, you guys remember, they have a parchment on the thing. Shen is just, like, kneeling on the ground, like, not just, like, crying these quiet tears. And he is just heartbroken and horrified over what Kaladin has done and everyone agrees that Shen should not come on any more runs like mm -hmm. they've lost one more person yeah but Matal yeah and Sadius come up and Matal's basically like what the f bro <laughs> what the storms <laughs> because as you remember how did Matal get this job Kaladin did something clever and got Matal's predecessor executed <laughs> yep and so Sadius basically comes up and is just like, okay, guys, let me in on the special secret sauce of what's been going on. And Matal is being honorable and he's like, me, I told him to do this. This is what happened. Wait, does he say that? Does he say I told I him to do so. it? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> oh, he takes full responsibility. That's what he does. <laughs> Sadius knows who Kaladin is. He is oh, referred to right. as the miracle. My high princess, I'm a miracle. <laughs> One look and it's plain to see. My high princess, I'm a special little boy. <laughs> I am a bridgeman who's done some war crimes. <laughs> I 
survived a high storm, sent her from the sky. <laughs> My hyper says I'm a special little soldier. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody oh. can wield a spear like me. <laughs> He does think he's a miracle <laughs> and and basically he's just like well that was a good idea Matal like you're promoted and Matal's like <laughs> I could have been dead I could have died but as Zadius is leaving because he's on his horse and he's riding off he says most remarkable the way that boy dodged dot 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 I don't you think this is dodged <laughs> I don't think that this will be the last that, like, uh, it's not going to be the last that we have of Sadius and Kaladin. Mm -hmm. Yes. I know you hate Sadius's guts. I do. And I'm not saying this is in praise of, but he, even though people went against his orders and surprised him, he didn't just kill Kaladin because he disobeyed. Right. Um, He did recognize that this was helpful. And that's one thing we know about Sadius is... If it helps me, I keep it. If it doesn't, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that's like why he runs bridges the way he does yeah. is because oh, this is helpful to me personally. Yeah. And the other bridgemen are like, that was amazing. <laughs> uh, Moash really wants to do it. He's like, we, there, there should be more of us. Uh, we could do it in teams. He's like, he's a glory too. Glory hound. You stop being so rude about my Bridgman. My personal Bridgman, whom I love. Well, okay, not all the Bridgman, because like you said, Shen. Oh, it is. I just want to give him a hug. I just want to give mm-hmm. him a hug and be like, I can't fix this, but oh. Uh, interesting to note that even though Stormlight has healing and restorative properties, uh, it seems to have a little bit of a negative effect on Kaladin when it's done. Basically, he's He's going into shock after doing yeah this thing. And I wonder, is it going to be like a drug? Like, Ooh. he needs more in order to do what he's doing now? Ooh. Or is it like, is he going to be a functional alcoholic where he just, like, sucks in stormlight a little bit all the time? We found Roshar's second. <laughs> what do you call the drugs you do for fun? Recreational. Recreational. My brain's like retroactive. <laughs> we found Roshar's second recreational drug. Do you remember what the first one was? It's the fire snap or the yeah, fire, fire moss. moss. Fire moss. You're right, though. You're making the right hand <laughs> motion of rubbing it between your thumb and forefinger. So Kaladin talks to Teft as well. Then he starts doing a little first aid demonstration with a man who's wounded. And everybody's, you know, gathered around paying attention. And then Lopin calls Kaladin name yeah he doesn't call him gancho <laughs> he's just like kaladin what happened <laughs> the parshendi have rallied what is it 50 yeah 50 archers who are all kneeling yeah they they're they've all got um not kneeling but they're they're in formation and they're all lined up and ready and they're going to kill 
all of Bridge Four yeah. for what Kaladin did. And there's no shelter. There's nothing Kaladin can do. They've just had this amazing victory, and they're reveling in the glory of it all. And Kaladin looks up and realizes they're all about to die, and he can do nothing but just watch <laughs> everyone die. And then, and then <laughs> the Blackthorn comes in in the clutch and like decimates the Parshendi, like in full storm armor, shard armor, naked shard armor. Oh, <laughs> what it is. Oh, oh, natural. Oh, natural. Because it's not decorated. It's not painted. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just like, where is this coming from? I missed that in the book. This is the spiciest episode we've ever done. Listen, we mention the Horner Pact on the podcast all the time. I don't think we've ever explained to our listeners what the Horner Pact. You never is. explained what to me what it is. It's we're not horny on live. Oh, okay. We're not horny on mic. <laughs> Too late. It's- <laughs> It's a pun with the Honor Pact, which is what's brought everyone to the Shattered Plains. And then the Horner Pact is you and I are not horny on our podcast. Because Because why? Do you know what? It's nice to listen to podcasts where the hosts are horny sometimes. (laughs) Is that a problem you have in your everyday life? Do you know what? I listen to a lot of podcasts. And you'd be surprised at the libido some of these people. <laughs> Listen, I am not. I am not shaming anyone. I'm not shaming anyone. anybody. I'm not. But you know. <laughs> now I sound like such a prude. <laughs> Can we be a little horny for <laughs> We can be a little horny for Dalinar. An inappropriate amount. <laughs> as long as you keep your safe hand covered, you can <laughs> say that. Lamare, I'm so sorry, my friend. I still haven't learned how to say your screen name. But that one artist that I really love, mm-hmm. uh, she did a great sketch of Navani and Dalinar where Dalinar's sitting at his desk and he's trying to concentrate. And Nima- Navani comes up with her safe hand unbuttoned and reaches inside his shirt with <laughs> I need to see this. Look at that sound bar you just <laughs> made. No, I'm too loud. Oh, no. All right. Well, I guess the Horner Pact is broken. Let's talk about Dalinar's Horner butt. Horner is dead. <laughs> Horner is dead. The spice must flow. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dalinar saves Kaladin's life and it's got Emily hot and bothered. <laughs> Stop calling me out. Um, because, like, so when I read a book or watch a movie or TV, one of the things that really convinces me if it's good or not is that if I believe the actor's emotions, like if you've got a wooden actor on the screen who's either just like phoning it in or is the wrong casting or just isn't playing the scene well, it's very hard for me to watch because all of a sudden I'm like, oh, these are, that's a person pretending to do this stuff and they're doing a really bad job at it. 
This scene in this part of the book was so emotionally charged for me because Kaladin, you can feel his emotional roller coaster where he is on top of the world and suddenly, like, it's like a bucket of cold water has been thrown on a fire. It's, we're gonna die and, like, there's nothing I can do. So, like, everyone's just, like, frozen and then Dalinar charges in, kills everybody, and then salutes the bridge crew with his sword and then bounds off to go kill more people. <laughs> Dalinar salutes everybody with his sword. Yeah. <laughs> but they know who he was. It wasn't yeah. just like, oh, who was that guy? It's like, that was Dalinar Colin. That was the king's uncle. He saved us. And a whole bridge crew. Like, this wasn't a tactical... Okay, because of Kaladin's um, antics, let's say, his war crime antics, <laughs> his war antics. <laughs> Wantics? Nope. Anyway. <laughs> They have more than enough bridge crews to get everyone home. Mm -hmm. There was no tactical advantage to saving the bridgemen. Dalinar just did it mm -hmm. because that's what Dalinar does yep. on the battlefield. <laughs> there are other things he does off the battlefield. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> and that brings us to the end of what we're going to record for today. The end. Oh, I you guys. Know. Listeners, what's going to happen next? Well, you already know. What's going to happen next? You already know. You did get to do I the full do. reading. Congratulations. I'm doing a bit. And so we're going to pause the recording right here. And in two weeks, you'll get the next episode. So uh, I guess that means that, hey, Emily, I got to get back to recording my podcast. I got to get back to, wait, you're recording another podcast? Nope. Nope. Uh, instead of, you know, going back to art or writing or whatever. I'm literally mm -hmm. going back to recording more of this podcast. I See, now Perfect. I'm doing a bit. It's my oh, turn to... Okay. Mom says it's my turn with the bit. <laughs> so I have to get this back to recording my This is me supporting your bit. Well, to support it, you just need to play along with it, okay? Yes, okay, and so me sorry. a little. Okay, here keep we go. Going, keep going. <laughs> I have to get back to recording my podcast. I have to get back to recording my podcast, too. All right. I believe in you. I believe in you. Ready, Ready break. break. Hey everyone, thanks for participating in on this episode of My Sister Made Me View It. And just like the intro, Emily's here with me for the outro as well. Hooray! So next week's episode is going to cover chapters 63, 64, and 65. I don't know the titles. I just know the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> go read it yourselves, you guys. Yeah, just go go read it. You're smart. You all can figure it out. I promise. <gasps> uh, chapter 65 is called The Tower. Oh, I did know that one. Okay. So well, that's the just... only one I could tell you. <laughs> yep. Yep. Because, oh, cliffhanger, 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 hey, cliffhanger, don't cliffhanger. Spoil it. Don't spoil it Sorry. for our It's readers. fine. It's, it's the most boring chapter there is. Don't even read it. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you again so much for listening to our podcast episode. Tune in next week, Thursday, April 21st, for our next episode covering the finale of Roswell season one <gasps> and then the following week after that 
Thursday, April the 28th, Emily and I will be back with the second half of this colossal reading. (laughs) (laughs) And in between that, make sure you turn your taxes in. April 18th is tax day. Get them done. I haven't done my taxes yet. I haven't either, you guys. We're supposed to be adults. What is this even? The government already knows. I already paid them. (laughs) (laughs) We'll figure it out. Don't worry about us. Now our podcast is ending on a downer note. No, it's not. It's saying, well, yeah, it is. Okay, think of something better. Well, I was was fine where I was. You're the one who introed this Oh, me. I'm just trying to make sure people don't forget. I don't want any of you to be in (laughs) trouble with the IRS. Tell you what, here's here's a, a great note. Uh, we'd like to ask you, our listeners, our nerds, our friends, could you each tell one person about our podcast this week? Yeah. Could we get a little word of mouth going? And to pay it forward, I'm going to, once again, word of mouth, one of my favorite Stormlight podcasts, which is StormPod with Sean and Jack. Uh, they're like us, but fancy lads. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> way fancier if much cooler yeah if you're looking for a way of king's podcast that like really dives into like the literary stuff i would recommend storm pod those two hosts are very thoughtful and instead <laughs> you're just stuck with us who are very horny <laughs> <laughs> but trying not to be but, but failing Anyways, you guys are all wonderful, and we love you so much. So thank you for listening. Thank you for everyone who has rated and reviewed us. We just appreciate the heck out of you. That is just a little dopamine hit that I would not get otherwise. All right, everybody. Have a great Thursday. Sounds good. Go forth. Do things that make you happy. And just remember, we believe in you.